You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, queers. Thanks for joining us. Today we're chatting with director, dramaturg, writer, and investor, Miss Hazel Jade. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Thesis on Joan. I'm Megan. She, her. I'm Holly. They, them. Thesis on Joan is a podcast dedicated to amplifying voices from the LGBTQ plus community in the New York performing arts scene and examining the industry from a queer perspective. Join fan queers and theater professionals, me and Holly, as we sit down with groundbreaking theater folk from Brooklyn cabaret performers to people backstage and on Broadway. For many queers, theater has been an escape. This podcast looks to have open conversations on where we've come from and where we're headed as a community while queering the canon along the way. Hi, Megan. Happy mid-October. For us, when we're recording, it was only last weekend, but when you're hearing this, will be a little, little later, but the Tony Awards were last weekend, and I just wondered, like, what were your highs and your lows and your in-betweens of what stood out, uh, yeah, what you thought of this new format they did? Yeah, and... I also like that last time we recorded, we were both like, oh, yeah, the Tonys. Um, and now I equally feel like it was so long ago, right? Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I like the idea behind the format, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like I've been thinking about this a lot this week because they came out with how the viewership was like its lowest ever in history. Mm-hmm. But it was also up against the Dallas Cowboys game. So I don't – not that <laughs> – I like how they use that. I'm like, I don't think that audience – was torn. It's yeah. not a Venn diagram. That's very, yeah. <laughs> the crossover is not large. I feel like. Yeah. It's only like the people who were forced to watch the Cowboys instead of the Tony because <laughs> of the, their partners or something. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I like the idea because as much as like we think otherwise, the Tony's is really just intended to be a good commercial for like out of town people to come see shows mm-hmm. So I thought like condensing all the performances into a shorter time was like, oh, great. This is more like a shopping menu Mm. of like, oh, here are some things I could see. Here's why I love Broadway and I forgot. Um, (laughs) So I was like, logically, like with that goal in mind, it makes sense because it's more of a menu for ticket buyers. But like... (laughs) I, I, we were confused. Yeah. We were texting each other. So like, if we couldn't figure out how to get from Paramount Plus to the other, to the program, like that, that had to be such a fumble for so many people. Oh, they yeah. had to give up. I can't, like, I can't imagine some of like the older generation folks I've worked with in the past figuring that out 
easily. I think mm-hmm. my mom like usually always texts me about the Tonys and is like watching it with me. And it's like a fun way for her to engage with me. And she had like no idea they were happening. Right. So yeah, I just, I, I can't imagine that wasn't extremely harmful to the numbers. I mean, we know they are, but yeah. yeah. And I feel like if folks didn't realize it was two part, mm-hmm. they probably watched the first part and they're like, that sucked. We usually like to see the performances. <laughs> like, you know, they had no sense that like, I don't know. I, and there just weren't clear directions on like how to, no. like if you were watching on Paramount Plus, which I think was the only way to watch that first section, mm-hmm. there was not clear directions on how to switch to the, like the live broadcast. No. Yeah. Cause there was like, I mean, love the Tonys for this. They were done 10 minutes early. Mm-hmm. They were like, we're ready. Get over there. But then you're just watching the last 10 minutes of Big Brother while you wait for the Tonys. Yeah. So. I like, it was interesting how they, um, they gave out the last, what, three or four awards, the big mm-hmm. awards on the like performance end. And I'm just, yeah, I'm also afraid that the first section will become the new like, design uh tech awards that no one yeah. can see or no one watches and it's just gonna get pared down and like eventually in five years it's just gonna be two hours of performances and and none of the awards or like right. just the two or three awards yeah that's a good point it's like they're admitting how inside it is mm-hmm. but at the same time that's like damaging to widening the audience yeah I don't know. It was, it was very strange. And it was also, I was thinking about this last night, um, because before the pandemic, I was working on Girl from the North Country and I was looking at like some of their stuff on Instagram. And I'm like, if they would have known that, I, I know that it's because all the voters didn't get in in time to see all the shows, but like, I feel like when they made that cutoff, for the shows, they thought the Tonys were going to happen like September 2020. Mm. And the fact that there's like a handful of shows that already opened and got reviewed and they're like getting pushed in the next year is really weird to me. Mm. I, I don't know. It made like, it felt like there were like five shows nominated for everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in an Aaron debate. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I wish he would have had a better sense of humor about that. Like he didn't even like. I know he was like keeping it serious and he said some nice stuff, but like he could have joked a little bit yeah. about it. <laughs> it like, so many opportunities weird. there. Yeah, totally missed. I feel like I feel like one of my favorite moments was when Audrey McDonald like read her own name from the teleprompter. That was the best moment. <laughs> <laughs> Audrey was great. Like she yeah, it was weird to like, why couldn't Audra just keep doing it? Why do we have to go over to Leslie Odom? Yeah. Jr.? Or they like, could both have hosted both things the whole time. Right. I don't know. I just feel like she's no offense to Leslie Odom. Well, a little, I guess I, she's just so much more charming. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And she's very natural at that stuff. Um, and she's funnier. Yeah. So she was great. Yeah. Obviously Jennifer Holiday blew everyone mm-hmm. away and just, I was crying. Like that was, yeah. And I like how everyone brought it up afterwards. Like, I couldn't <laughs> stop talking about it. And then, like, I stayed for Wheels, Wheels of a Dream. Oh. Like, that was so great. Yep. I got, like, I'm getting chills just thinking about it right now. It made me so happy. Yeah. I think that's the one I was saying to my partner. I was like, I think that's the show that I would, if I could time travel and go back and see is, like, original Broadway cast, Ragtime. Hell yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That was cool. I liked the duet thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought that was, like, a good way to acknowledge like we don't have a lot to perform but here's some things that you know and love about broadway mm-hmm. um 
So that was cool. I mean, it was kind of an eclectic mix, but it definitely yeah. felt like, uh, Lucy was saying like, Oh, this means that the people who are running the Tonys and making these decisions now are like our age. And like, these are the musicals <laughs> yeah. that were really important to them. <laughs> That's true. That's a really good point. Yeah. I, I don't know what was happening. The first two in the award section were like lovely, but, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Ali Stroker, beautiful performance. She's a wonderful performer. But then I feel like following her with Jennifer Nettles and then you have Oh yeah. Like these two white women. I'm like, why why is this happening right now? Um, singing ballads and I just felt like that could have been mixed up a little more. Now that you've said that, I like blocked out half the performances and realized <laughs> then you I feel got, like I remembered yeah, a and, couple. <laughs> uh yeah. I feel like like, I didn't love the Josh Groban one. No. I'm just always, like, underwhelmed by him, usually, anyway. Um, oh, see, I love Josh Groban, but I'm like, this, there was a lot of unnecessary things. It was like, mm-hmm. this is, this feels like it's such a blatant, like, look at us, popular America. Like, <laughs> you know, like, look at these people that are kind of involved in theater that we can get you interested in. Mm-hmm. Like, even like the Andrew Reynolds, Titus Burgess, do that, which I liked. I thought it was cool, but I was like, the only reason these two people are in this is because they've been on TV shows that people may have watched. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just very. It's not for the the theater people. Yeah. Also, like, oh look, we're like making theater gay, but only like cis gay men gay. Right. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like the actual awards were totally disappointing to me, but it's not like there was a lot of alternative. Mm-hmm. I was really excited to see Soldiers Play win stuff because I feel like it had such a limited moment right before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that people remembered it. It was a really incredible play. Should we touch on Lauren Patton and yeah. Jagged Little Pill? You know, it it was disappointing and, and kind of painful to see her win for uh win a Tony for Jagged Little Pill. It's like with all the controversy happening and yes there was an acknowledgement but i also didn't hear an apology totally yeah as they were announcing like her name she was walking up i'm like all right she's gonna let him have it (laughs) she's gonna nope thanks the producers yeah (laughs) it was yeah i don't know like you won the tony you can now just they need you more than you need them because they want to say they have a Tony award winning performance in their show. So just like bring them to task. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like there's, I think a lot of back and forth about the anger at Lauren Patton about this. And I think Mm -hmm. it, most of it is justified, but I also think it is also, and holding the creative team and the producers uh, accountable for this too, because it's not just her, and like, yes, yeah, she could make a decision to, you know, leave the show or do something more than what she's done. But there, there are more folks than just her who's, she's like the public face of this scandal. Right. Yeah. Right. I don't see her leaving. Yeah. Or doing any more than what she did with that speech. Yeah. It's unfortunate. And, and I still haven't watched that conversation with her and Shakina. I need to, but, um, I haven't either. I know it's going to piss me off. So I. <laughs> But even like, I feel like even if she is like apologizing and it's a good conversation, like it's still very insular and 
only the people who are going to see it are the people who are invested in this and it's not reaching like the wider audience that being a Tony winner, being on a Broadway production touches people and see, and people see that, you know, mm-hmm. there was a lot of disappointing wins, but that one, was, yeah, that one, I think especially. So a lot of the other wins too, I'm just like, eh. there was no other choices really. <laughs> so I was very happy for Danny Burstein. Uh, oh yeah. He, I mean, he deserves all the nicest Tonys. person. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Unlimited awards for Danny Burstein. <laughs> what a sweetheart. Yeah. So talented too. Mm-hmm. Everything he does is just so fun to watch. Yeah. And everything he does, he's the best thing about it, mm-hmm. you know, but not in a way that's like, I'm the star, you know, he's like always supporting cast members more than they deserve Aaron to be. Uh, if you could give, if Thesis on Joan had our own Tony Awards or an award, uh, who would you want to give one to? Yeah. I think looking at the last year and a half, uh, I would want to give it to Elle Morgan Lee for everything that she has been doing everywhere, digitally, mm-hmm. in person, you know, working on the, um, working on the Danish girl, um, workshop in London mm-hmm. and like all of the, Really just like uplifting, but also like moments of truth, like, yeah, uh, things that she's put online. It's been, I don't know, it's been a bright, bright spot for me during the pandemic. And I just am excited that she's going to come out of the last year and a half with like, I think a lot more attention and a lot more projects mm-hmm. and like, you know, I, everyone kind of knew her just from Strange Loop before, which is great, but she's been like, hustling but not just for personal gain for like community awareness Mm. and i just love her and all the work that she does yeah 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 i think no i agree with you she's she's amazing and her instagram is awesome i think i would give mine i was felt really conflicted about moulin rouge sweeping everything and like no mention of karen olivo and Mm. like every time you saw her face and the videos and stuff i'm like oh i wish you know she would have more, she got more, um, attention and props for like her contribution to the show. And so I feel like I would give mine to her. And, you know, I think what they did earlier or last year when they announced they're not, uh, coming back to Moulin Rouge was such a, a powerful move and, you know, really highlighting, uh, giving up of power. And as a, a woman of color as a person of color. I'm like, Oh, this isn't the people who we necessarily want to be giving up power. But, uh, I applaud her for her reasons why. And, you know, it does take a certain amount of privilege to be able to turn down jobs like that. But, you know, I don't want it to, to disappear and like not be remembered and, and honored, I guess in the future. So yeah, I really appreciate them and on all the work she's been doing. And I feel like I constantly see her at the like panels and the like town halls and like they're constantly mm-hmm. showing up. So really appreciate that. Yeah. They're such an advocate for not only like their fellow artists, but also like the next generation of theater artists. And I, I think we were both hoping that more people would follow like what she had done mm-hmm. with her, uh, quitting the show and, yeah, it it's sad that they were kind of like on their their own mm-hmm. uh, when especially when you look at Moulin Rouge. But yeah, agreed. All the Tonys to Karen Olivo. 
So let's move to our action of the ep for this episode. We're focusing on mass incarceration and solitary confinement for New York uh, State in New York City. So you can follow the New York Campaign for Alternatives to Isolated Confinement, or the CAIC, the Hashtag Halt Solitary Campaign, and Vocal New York. And they're all fighting to end solitary confinement and reduce the incarcerated population in state prisons and local jails, led by directly impacted New Yorkers and people who have experienced incarceration and criminalization. CAIC and hashtag halt solitary campaigns common goal is a sweeping reform of New York's use of solitary confinement and other forms of extreme isolation in state prisons and local jails. So the halt solitary Act stands for Humane Alternative to Long-Term Solitary Confinement Act, uh, which is currently making its way through the New York State Legislature. And we'll link to this in our show notes. You can use the phone to action tool to email, tweet, and call City Council Speaker Corey Johnson to urge him and the City Council to truly end solitary confinement in New York City. If you don't live in New York, you can research your area and find local organizations that are doing similar work and help support them, too. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered ChompaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Today we are so excited to sit down with our guest, Miss Hazel Jade. Miss Hazel Jade is a theatrical director, dramaturg, playwright, librettist, literary consultant, and former investor, both to Broadway and the West End. Some of the projects she's invested in or been dramaturg for include Waitress, Once on this Island, SpongeBob, Frozen, Moulin Rouge, Pretty Women, Beetlejuice, and Ain't Too Proud. After the COVID-19 pandemic, Miss Hazel returned to an earlier love of directing for the stage, where she is now the director of The Regulars, a new folk musical by Will Shishmanian, which moved to the UK for development. She's also the director of off-Broadway bound musicals 2,000 Miles and Rain, and the creator of two television pilots along with three films in development. Miss Hazel Jade also has a thriving career as a private dramaturg and literary consultant for musicals, both new works and revivals, where she collaborates with writers to develop strong female leads. Personally, she is a proud Afro-Latinx bisexual woman. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast, Miss Hazel. We are so excited to have you. <laughs> and we always start with by asking our guests to share their name, pronouns, and anything else you would like to share about how you identify. Amazing. Uh, my name is Miss Hazel Jade. I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I am just a theater maker. That's what I do. That's who I am. 
Amazing. Yeah. And, you know, as we were looking, doing more research about you, you have so many roles in the theater world. You're a director, a dramaturg, a playwright, <laughs> a librettist, a literary consultant, and an investor. Uh, it's so a, lot. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Could, <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. Can you Thank kind of you. talk us um, through how you, you move through those roles and like what oh, kind of, of work are you most excited about these days? All right. I am, uh, how do I put it? I started in theater as most people do as a performer, um, many, many years ago. I trained, uh, with this little group out of Torrance in California. Um, and for me, it was quite thrilling, I guess, uh, because, uh, I finally found a way to reconnect to the arts after my grandmare passed. Uh, when I was six, she kind of, introduced me to the theater with like Into the Woods and The Lion King. Um, and it was our thing. We'd go to the theater once a month and then that abruptly stopped. And I was still yearning for it. And I tell a lot of my collaborators now that one of the reasons why I love theater is because it quite frankly is magical and um, we can do certain things to continue to create that magic and to share it with young kids and adults. Um, which is why I, I love it. I, I did a lot of shows like Peter Pan and Oliver um, and The Wizard of Oz, Big River, Mary Poppins, um, The Sound of Music. Um, but think of it as like high budget shows with about a hundred and five hundred and six uh, kid performers and adults. It was wild. I miss it. Um, so many kids. I would go back. <laughs> it was so good. Um, and uh, my first show, Peter Pan, which is, it was my favorite childhood book and I was so keen on doing it. Uh, I actually did the show with Adam many, many years ago, Adam Lambert, um, which was wow. so fun and it, it's <laughs> been interesting keeping in touch over the years. Um, and I am actually revisiting Neverland in a piece soon that we'll talk about later. Ooh, oh, what yeah. a tease. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> and so how do you decide how you want to work on a project? And I guess like in what capacity you want to work on a project? Like what's Absolutely. exciting to be a dramaturg on? What's more interesting when you're actually writing? Like how does, how does that play out? Of course. Uh, I think for me, I, I got into dramaturgy because uh, when acting kind of became boring to me and I wanted to get into more things. Um, I started writing uh, because I was a black performer. Uh, I kind of got involved in the Chitlin circuit, um, which is like a smaller version of, of theater. Uh, and I did a few shows uh, in some small spaces. And when I grew those spaces, I went to a larger space like the Wilshire Ebell in LA, which was uh 1270 seater, I think it was. Wow. Um, and I got to perform there, which was amazing. And uh, I did some professional shows and some uh, regional shows here and there. I directed Beauty and the Beast more times than I can count. Um, I've done <laughs> Oliver, which I am obsessed with Oompapa. There's a little bit of Oompapa in the regulars, actually. Um, and I did Into the Woods. Always good to have an Oompapa reference. <laughs> I mean, yeah. when you can have it. Mm -hmm. um, and because I was a book writer um, and had done it for quite a few years, I went to school and I studied playwriting. Um, I ended up going to, to Juilliard and it was 
fun and thrilling and straight out of school I, I got my first job on Broadway as a dramaturg which was crazy because I had no idea that I was experienced and I loved every minute of the show um, obviously I can't show I can't share the name of the show um but it was a it was a fun experience and I kind of kept doing it it, it was fun I guess for me to help other writers explore what was not necessarily wrong, but what could be improved in their pieces. Um, sometimes what I couldn't do on my own pieces. Um, and for me, I, I guess I define dramaturgy as, or m my role as I see it, as helping writers and composers and uh, directors kind of get their material to the best place possible for the story that they're trying to tell. And I get to do that on so many shows and I, I love every minute of it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and then if when you're trying to choose a project then do people usually like approach you with a role or do you kind or you're like you suss them out and feel like oh where do I fit in here? When I'm doing dramaturgy specifically for me I think uh a lot of uh directors or uh theater companies will approach me um saying that they have a writer who's uh not exactly getting the story that they need to uh that they need for either marketing reasons or commercialization reasons. Um, and so I, I step in and kind of try to urge the drama to happen, if you will. Um, and that, that's been a fun experience for me. Uh, as a, an investor, I kind of find shows that I love, shows that I'm passionate about. And for me, it uh, usually has to be a really, really, really gay show. Um, and when I say gay, I mean uh, queer, not like, wait, cis men. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's got to be very gay. And uh, a lot of the shows, even if they weren't gay, it was either um, a really black show that I was obsessed with, or a show that had a phenomenal female lead producer and couldn't stay away, if you will. Yeah. And speaking of investing, uh, so yeah. in one of your bios, you say you're a former investor. So are, <laughs> <laughs> are you, are you yeah. kind of done with that role with shows? And like, uh, what do you wish you had known about investing in, in Broadway and West End shows before you started? Of course. I, for me, I think I am right now done, uh, with shows. I kind of want to reform everything from the inside on an artistic level. Um, I don't have any intentions of picking it up or picking it back up, but we'll see. Um, every now and there's a, a show that calls to me or it's uh, something from my young adulthood or my young childhood that I loved. Shows like Once on this Island, I uh, shared to my story this morning that I was obsessed with Once on this Island because Lynn Ahrens wrote uh, a little line in The Sad Tale of the Bosoms uh that uh, says they despise us for our blackness. It reminds them where they're from. And as a young female theater artist, it really kind of saved me from the brink of um, Unalive. And it was quite amazing. Uh, but for me, I, I, I think I don't, I don't want to return to uh, investing right now, I, primarily because one, Broadway doesn't need any more investors um, until they reform itself. I kind of want to decenter Broadway as much as possible and kind of return to uh, grassroots nonprofit regional theater and uh, kind of get more kids into theater. Uh, it's been my mission to continue to inspire next generations uh, so that our industry doesn't die entirely. And that's, that's where my mind is right now. 
decentering Broadway. That just yeah. like that right there <laughs> got me. <laughs> I'm sorry to say that on the Broadway, uh, <laughs> so but great. It, it, it it's not. It's a place, but I would even dare to say that Broadway is like America and idea of what theater could be and i don't think it's lived up to the idea that it's set out to be it's not an idea that includes everyone i like it purports to it doesn't and doesn't include uh black and brown bodies it doesn't include uh women all that uh often um it definitely excludes queer and trans people and that's not what i want to be a part of yeah which is why i moved all of my shows to london and they have treated us well. And um, actually today we moved the regulars from the heart of London, which is kind of gentrified and uh, it's got its whole thing to Manchester, um, which is very, very, very queer. And I am excited to see what becomes of it. Oh, my old uh, boss uh, lives in Manchester now. So I'll have to tell oh, her amazing. about your stuff. Yeah. Should be able to see it next January. Oh, great. That's so soon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're, we're doing a, a small little uh, workshop, uh, a three-week workshop. Um, but because of moving the show, um, we're kind of going to open up our presentations uh, to the queer community to come and see and be a part of. Oh, I have so many follow-up questions from what you just said. I'm going to try to limit it down. No, um, no, no. Ask as many questions as you want. But the move from Broadway to the West End, it sounds like that's both with the people that you're creating with and with Absolutely. the audiences. Is that the case? or Yeah. Uh, I always kind of go from the Broadway mindset of, if you set a show in a certain place, um, and especially if it desperately has an audience and the regulars has a built-in audience of, of queer folks and uh, trans folks with Shish being a trans writer um, and Iris being in the show and so many other people that it, it, it I think our kids and our um, audience will come to us uh, regardless of, of who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm quite excited about that. I like I love the idea. I feel like you never see it of opening up like early um like early looks at shows to not Absolutely. I'm doing air quotes, not professionals, right? <laughs> not theater professionals. So what what do you think like your production will gain from like kind of being less closed door when it comes to accessing the audience that you ultimately want to reach? Absolutely. I think for me it, it was important to engage the community. We do it a lot in uh, nonprofit theater and we do it sometimes in our out of town tryouts before we transfer shows to Broadway. Um, but uh, I think bringing the community in closer, it'll allow us to see what not problems per se, but uh, areas of improvement we can uh, have with the show. Um, it'll get this direct fucking feedback. I think one of the reasons why I, have stayed in the theater and never left. Um, even though I do write like film and TV every now and then. Um, but one of the reasons why I stay is because I've always seen, uh, the theater as a, a place to get direct feedback from your audience and to be able to have our audience right on the ground with us as we're doing a workshop is, it's going to be scary and exciting. Um, I think for me as a director, I'm going to constantly be watching the audience to see 
where they connect with uh, storylines, what gets a laugh, what doesn't. Things we'll see in that at Town Tryout, but we'll get to see it earlier. Um, and I think most importantly for me is seeing what storylines or um, pieces of dialogue or songs might trigger folks um, so that we can pull back if we need to, because it is a very scary and vulnerable show. I have a follow-up question about like Broadway versus the West End. Absolutely. What do you think is the difference there? Is it just like, like what the idea of Broadway is or (laughs) historical context? No, it's actually, I was shocked in uh, moving from New York theater and from the States entirely, which is purely based on capitalism to uh, London. Uh, I remember my very first meeting with a producer and I heard it about three or four more times after that is that they just wanted me to create art in a room and not focus on commercializing the show, which I've never ever heard in theater, even uh, back in my nonprofit days. Um, so it was nice to see that I could just create art. I could just create gay art. Even if we said on stage, fuck white men, um, <laughs> it's acceptable. And that's what we do. Wow. And then I guess with that mindset and thinking about investing, which you're moving away from, which you have yeah. many other things that you're doing <laughs> to the world and we're happy you're doing that instead. Thank you. Um, how there's been a lot of like attempts, I feel like at disrupting the normal way that shows are invested, Absolutely. but nothing's like really stuck. Like we're always in this old model of, you know, there's not a lot, like there was, I think a couple attempts at crowdfunding, but in terms of like commercial producing, that doesn't typically happen. Do you have any thoughts on like, should we disrupt it? Is there a better <laughs> way? <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts. Um, I, I'll say initially getting into investing for me was a huge uh, eye opener. One, because they'll always tell you don't expect a return on investment. Um, but even before then, the problem with American theater, but especially on Broadway, is who is actually eligible and who can invest. Um, because you practically and quite literally have to be a millionaire in order to invest in Broadway. And I don't mean that um, metaphorically, New York state law kind of requires that if you're going to invest in a first class production, you have to be making a million dollars a year, um, which is so stupid, um, <laughs> but it's, it's their law. So I think we start by, changing those laws. Um, and every now and then you'll have a producer who can find a loophole like they did on Once on this Highland. But it doesn't happen too often. And I think it's primarily because uh, producers, like many of my friends who I will not name, uh, won't change or they won't change their minds and they're not willing to put in the work to truly make Broadway equitable, both for performers and for creatives and investors and producers alike. They kind of like the comfortability of the Nederlanders and Jujams and running everything. It's yeah, it's so frustrating with those laws too. Cause it's like, you it have is. to be a millionaire or you have to have friends that amount to millionaires, you know, Absolutely. and it's like how, how that shuts out the great majority of the population. And it's no wonder that we percent. end up with what we end up with on the stage. Exactly. You know? But it's that it's, it's worse than that it's because of these stupid laws and because Broadway can't recoup and I have many reasons why it can't recoup um we don't get to see as many new works on Broadway as we should um we're constantly seeing 
very, very, very stupid fucking revivals, um, like many of the revivals coming this season. Um, I shall not name names except for, you know, we got it. The music man yeah. and everything else. <laughs> um, but yeah, it starts by, uh, reminding Broadway producers that they don't get to dictate what shows should go on stage. Uh, it kind of is up to performers and the audience alike. Um, and they love telling us what we should see or what we want to see. And I think it's time we remind them what we, we do want to see. And it kind of starts by not going to see these terrible shows like Planet Girl and Tootsie that's getting ready to tour. Um, but I, in saying that, I also have to advocate against asking performers to quit their jobs because of shitty shows, um, because it kind of pays their bills. And I would never tell a Black performer in Tootsie or any other show to quit their job. I feel like in London, you see more risk, not risk-taking, but you see more variety of work. But I mean, do you think that's because of government subsidies or do you think it's because of investment laws or different? It's a lot. Uh, One of the first things that I heard back to back to back when I first got to London was that it is a thousand times cheaper to produce a show in London than it is on Broadway. I have no fucking idea why I still am trying to get to the bottom of it. Um, (laughs) But it, it, what we spend $23.5 million producing on Broadway um, might be about £5 million on the West End. And it's fun and exciting. Um, and we try a lot of shit out. Um, we're willing to fail. And then I think one of the reasons why I like Broadway, in a sense, is that Broadway has a lot more open-ended shows where you see Western shows that are strictly limited, um, like Wondervale that just closed. I think the only original or new pieces that are open there, aside from Come From Away, which was actually a Broadway transfer, we've got Anne Juliet, um, Tina Turner, the Broadway musical started there. Girl from the North Country started there. It closed. Um, Company started there. It closed. Uh, so it's, it's frustrating to see only stuff coming from New York that's, uh, able to be sustainable. Um, but let's, I have my fingers crossed that Anne Juliet stays open and that they bring Jamie back and that the regulars kind of gets an open-ended run. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I remember when I first signed on to the regulars, I immediately told Shish that I was going to stretch the timeline um, just so that it can last longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so we stretched our development timeline because I want to build a show that can be open-ended and then transfer over to that terrible place in three or four years. <laughs> That's such a, a marker of uh, like white supremacy too is urgency. Yes, exactly. So it's uh, amazing to be able to take your time with it more. But it's also like urgency, like they rush really good shows and then they take their time or put their money into like really, really, really white shows. Um, or shows that they want to see, things like Funny Girl that we should never see again. Uh, they, they really put their money and their time into stuff that doesn't matter. There is actually a show coming to Broadway uh, that is produced by a former friend of mine. And um, it's a, a trans storyline that I don't think needs to be on Broadway because it is way, way, way behind its time. Mm. But it's produced by a white cis guy who is going to ruin everything and he doesn't listen and he's been forcing it like he forced another show that flopped in a matter of a week um he's forcing it to broadway 
And there's nothing in the model to stop something like that. No, <laughs> I I have emailed him a billion times to cancel it, and he's adamant that it's it's going to be a hit, as he loves to say. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So get, get ready for that. It's going to be amazing. You know, more trash. <laughs> more trash. <laughs> not the trash we wanted. We always said we yeah, want no. queer trash, but not like that. We want like exactly. That. <laughs> yeah. so I bet it will be celebrated just to be like, oh, there's a trans story on Broadway. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it is going to get that buzz. Um, they've finally, after it being in development for five years, they've attached some trans, some actual trans people. And not a composer who says that he used to cross-dress as a kid. Um, so that's Absolutely. fascinating in and of itself. Wow. Yeah. I have, have a follow-up podcast about this. <laughs> yeah. Future. I will go on and on about yeah. it once it opens. Well, we want to switch to your more like artistic side. Um, yes. And, and okay. as a dramaturg and a director and a writer, what's, what's important to you when you're working with queer stories and queer characters? Absolutely. I think for me, it starts any piece that I take on um, as a director. Now that I'm back directing, I kind of have to be entirely and absolutely obsessed with the piece. Um, and before the pandemic, had, I had no intention, no plan, had no idea that I would return to Broadway. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, to directing. I knew I wasn't going to return to Broadway. <laughs> that already mapped out. Um <laughs> But I, I didn't think that I would return to directing ever um, because it, it burned me years ago and it hurt. Um, but I, I reached a point in the pandemic last October where I was insanely depressed and um, I was going like on five or six walks around the river walk at my house, um, just pulling my hair out because I was bored to shit. Um, I was missing the theater like crazy, even though I said I was leaving the theater. Um, so I immediately texted Shish and I asked him to send me some folk music and uh, that fuck, um, that fucker, I love him to death, but he decides he's going to send me a folk musical, not any music. Um, uh, even though he wrote, he writes phenomenal folk music, the likes of like Janice Ian and, uh, uh, and Joni was weird getting a musical, um, especially after having been away from musical theater for so many months. And I remember listening to the first three songs and I was hooked and I asked him to send me some more material from it. Um, and I paged through it in a matter of 30 minutes. It was the first 20 pages of the show. And I immediately called him and said, I have to direct this show. No matter what happens, I have to direct it. Because I was obsessed with the piece. I found myself in it. I wanted to live in the world that it took place in. And quite frankly, I think I can say that I've lived in Amberland since October of 2020. Uh, and I never want to leave. And I want to bring everyone to that world. So I'm, I'm excited about that. And that kind of inspires me with every project. As I have to be insanely obsessed with the piece. Uh, the characters obviously have to be. Right. And they have to be people that I'm constantly rooting for. And yet at the same time, characters, I just want to give a big old ho a hug to because I see their pain and I know their pain. And speaking of your characters, um, you put an emphasis on developing strong female leads in your dramaturg and literary consultant work. Absolutely. But um, how do you see that applying to the rest of your work as well? Maybe in the regulars? Absolutely. So uh, the regulars, 
the first character that I connected with really wasn't the main character. I don't even think the main character is the main character. Um, I connected with Danny, the black queer woman in the show, um, because I know what it's like to start theater and have people try to fuck it up or try to kill your dreams or uh, Broadway producers try to tell you that you're too ambitious um, and want to create safe spaces for people. Um, so I, I instantly saw myself in her and there's this big number she sings uh, in the middle of act one called picture this. And I realized how strong she was and how much she didn't take shit, no matter how much shit she was, was thrown on her. Um, and I, I take that and I kind of have to match every show that I read, which is why I'm, I'm not directing too much right now um, against the regulars or against rain, because I, I want my characters to be, especially uh, my women and, and uh, my trans characters and my non-binary characters to be folks who kind of don't depend on anyone or aren't dependent on their co-star, so to speak, and kind of stand on their own and, and can be badasses. I love that. And that doesn't mean that there aren't men in the show. There just aren't as many <laughs> men as men would like to see. <laughs> I leave just enough men for like your mother to see and lust over and come buy another ticket for her church. Just the right amount. That's what I do. Yes, exactly. Oh, that's great. And we've talked a little bit about like the industry and like what we want to see change, but Absolutely. now that theater is coming back and more in person stuff is happening. Like what, what do you want to see change in the theater industry uh, from this past year with these like recent calls to action? I think for me, I want to see equitable theater period. Um, I, I want to see people, especially performers and techies. Uh, I still call them that um, valued for their work. I want to see us working less hours a week, less days a week. Um, I, I want all male producers to go away and all male directors to go away, but they're not going to. Um, but I also want to see more. I know we've had quite a few trans folks on Broadway, but I want to see more trans folks on Broadway. I want to see more black women leading shows. I want to see more black creative teams. Um, and I, I don't want it to be this performative bullshit that we have on Broadway right now, but true. And that's not to, to take a dig at any of the pieces. The pieces are phenomenal. I'm more worried about, the producers being performative and then in a year or two, once they've distracted us enough going right back to producing the same shit they produced before the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. So I, for me, it's really about seeing everyone treated equally and respectfully. And if not, then seeing those people who are harming artists kind of fizzle out and go away. And I think that starts with dissolving the Broadway league. Mm, that's a whole podcast episode. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have to do a lot of follow-up conversations with you, Miss Hazel. <laughs> I'm if you, you can see my face when Miss Hazel said that, but it was a like <laughs> gleeful grin. So. Yeah. I, I would love to see it go away. And it, it's weird that like even AEA, and I'm proud that I'm not a member, I'm a member of AEA anymore and I'm not a performer anymore, but it's frustrating to see AEA filter who's allowed to be a member um, only because they're catering to the Broadway league. It's like telling performers, we want to protect you, but not at the expense of protecting the show that wants to treat you terribly. And if we do away with both of them and just 
um, allow performers to manage themselves and we as a community uh, support performers when they come out um, regardless of any abuse on Broadway. I think that it might be a better experience. Um, in London, there is an equity, but uh, unlike in on Broadway, you don't, you're not forced to become a member when you hit a first class production. Like Broadway instantly forces you to become an equity member on the West end. You can be your own performer and hit the West end and get paid more and get treated with respect and do shows you love. Um, and not have to talk about your sexuality in every fucking interview. Um, and you get to just be a, a human, which Broadway producers don't love. Like, Broadway producers don't love, entertainment producers don't love when you're a queer artist and won't obsess over your queerness. So we should all move to London. That's what we're... I mean, that's what I have said for many months, but do what you're going to do. It's a, a safe space for art, and I've got a lot of shows uh, in the pipeline there, and I advocate for as many performers and creatives to come over. I wish we could go over more often. Doors wide open. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like they say, come from away, come in, the doors open. Yeah. <laughs> now, is there a, a creator or I guess creator is the most general word I can get. A creator that's working today in theater that you're really excited about and you would encourage our listeners to follow their work. Besides you, of course. <laughs> um, For me, I, I mean, obviously me, obviously was Shish because um, Shish is a phenomenal writer. Um, I think for me, it's less about creators and that's no, uh, dig it creators. I just don't have much attention to, uh, notice them or I don't get to see as many newer creators as much as I'd like to. And I, I see a lot more, um, producers. Um, but right now I, I love everything that Elliot and Harper, who's producing a uh, company is doing, um, with the, the gender swap company of gender exists um even though i'm not a fan of revivals uh they're also doing an all black wizard of, uh i'm sorry not wizard of Oz, an all black the lion the witch in the wardrobe right now which is gorgeous um got some other projects that are coming up that i won't talk about um or even like i said and juliet on broadway um hope mill down or up in uh manchester who's actually uh signing on to the regulars hope mill is doing some phenomenal stuff uh I am someone who, and this is going to be the most uh, unpopular thing, but I, I hate Rent um, as a musical, uh, but they are doing a production of Rent that is probably the most spectacular piece I've ever seen. And uh, th that's really good. That's all in London. Um, here in the States, though, I'm probably most excited about uh, We Won't Sleep, which is a musical shepherded by Jen Bender um, uh, about... Um, it, it, it's a phenomenal musical. I, I advise you to look into it. Um, and Carolina Change, which is going to Broadway soon. I'm, I wish it was running longer. I'm, I'm excited to see it. But um, I think that's everything that I'm looking at right now. Oh, and then obviously, if if I wanted to, and if Chicago wasn't simultaneously running on Broadway, I would take the Muni's production to Broadway of Chicago. But, um, you know. It's running with it's a bunch of folks away. that don't deserve jobs. Yeah. It's <laughs> not going away. I mean, performers will kill themselves. They will uh, harm their staff, and it's just going to They're running on a nickel. <laughs> oh, God, kill me. Jeep. 
Oh, yeah. that's a, a ton. Thank you. Yeah. Um, of course. We all have a show that we hate that's on. I hate Les Mis. Everyone has a show that they don't like. Popular uh, opinion. The most overproduced <laughs> piece of work by Cameron McIntosh Shepherd. Yeah, that one. Or all, like, another unpopular opinion, but all Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals. He tends to fuck shit up. Like, when he did The Wizard of Oz, he fucked that up. Um, he's currently doing Cinderella. I was say, do you know, have you seen the Cinderella or anything? I, 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 I love Carrie Hope Fletcher who's starring in it. I love, um, Yvonne who's starring in it. I hate, I hate Cinderella, uh, his version of Cinderella. Um, I think I would rather see, uh, Brandy sing in my own little corner, um, every fucking day rather than see that musical. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also just goes to show that, like, Andrew Lloyd Webber and his best friends, Cameron McIntosh, need to go away. Go eat soup and go on long walks during the day and take your naps, but don't don't be in theater. That was a pretty nice prescription, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just go. I, I would say go fuck yourself, but I, I won't. Just go I eat soup. Yeah, go eat soup. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, we definitely want to talk about your work on developing and directing uh, the folk musical you mentioned, The Regulars. So can you Absolutely. tell us about, like, the story of the show and when we might be able to see it? Of course. Um, I'm kind of going to go back. I, like I said, I, I started on the production a few months ago. or Not a few months ago. It's a whole year now. <laughs> um, a whole year ago. Um, and I we did a, a reading of the first few scenes back in January which was amazing. Um, we've cut some demos here and there and released some things uh, with Iris Minas and uh, with Jada Valenciaga, who's a phenomenal uh, performer. Um, the show's about a trans guy named Mark who, uh, after some trouble with his family, moves away from his hometown of West Virginia to this beautiful new upstate town, a very rural town, called Amberland, um, in search of a new family, um, a chosen family, if you will. And uh, immediately he picks up a job in an orchard, which is, I think for me as a director, um, as a theater maker in general, I don't think I've ever seen a musical or even a film that takes place in an orchard. It's like one of the weirdest places to set a musical. (laughs) Um, But I was obsessed with that at the same time. Um, and like I said, he picks up a, a job at the orchard, uh, working in their stock room. And he, as a trans man, comes to terms with his newfound male privilege. And, um, he also meets Danny, who is this like really butch, really sexy ass, uh, black queer woman who doesn't take shit from the guys at the orchard. Um, she kind of immediately tells them that she can do her own job in a male dominated industry and um on the side she introduces him to this queer bar this really gay ass bar that she's opening um and so many things unfold you're going to see a lot of crazy things in it like uh you'll get to see harvest festival take place you'll see a lot uh not a lot of drag queens but you'll see a drag queen on roller skates you'll see a black <laughs> drag queen getting her entire life um you'll see a lot of like uh, lesbian relationships and a lot of like bisexual relationships in it. Um, you, obviously you'll see a lot of trans people in it. Um, yeah. And you might be able to here in the States, you probably won't get to see it until 2024 ish. Um, but if you're in London or if you want to come to London, if you want to be on a, a 
flight that I might ship over some queer folks to London. Uh, you'll get to see it in 2023 on the West End, 2022 for an out of town tryout in Manchester. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sign us up for the, yeah. the ship, ship, I, <laughs> the queer tour. I, I mean, I, I have to get some we'll folks do over. podcast with everyone in it. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're going to love everyone in it. Uh, it's got some phenomenal stars. Uh, Catherine Allison, who's playing our Danny. Uh, she's currently in company on Broadway. Um, you have Iris who, um, we all know what, what's happened with, uh, here and I dare not talk about it here. Um, but, uh, and then you've got a, a slew of other people. There's a, a phenomenal trans guy in, uh, Germany who's coming over to play our Mark. Um, and then everyone else is really gay and really in love. And there are a lot of, uh, London performers. There's some, uh, New York performers that are coming over. And we're just going to figure out what the heart of our gay show is. There are literally no white gay men scripted in our show. Yeah. I'm sorry, but they don't deserve to be. And it was unintentional to begin with, but Other time. I'm keeping it intentional. I was just going to say, I feel like fans of the show are going to like build this town and then I'll move to it one day. I'm, like, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm so excited. I mean... There's like the part of it. So this is something uh, secret that we've been talking about, but I guess I can share it here is uh, after the show um, wraps, like once we uh, finish a performance, we're going to open Danny's gay bar up for um, theater patrons to kind of join. And it's going to be a queer oh, bar I just got- for a good hour and a half. Ah, um, I just got chills. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be that safe space you've always wanted and never had. And it, it what I love about uh, the bar is it's not your typical like bar. It's a bar in a barn, kind of like Mutt's barn in Schitt's Creek. Um, so I'm quite obsessed with that really rustic feel of our, our barn. And can't wait to see a bunch of queers on stage um, where we would never invite them on stage. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, I <laughs> every aspect of this is just breaking every convention of like, I mean, I break it's all so the wonderful. And that's the thing about the West end is here on Broadway, there, because equity exists, there's so many rules of what we can and can't do. And um, here or in London, I kind of don't have any rules. I can do anything I want. And that's why I love creating art there and we'll continue to. And you've created a few different, well, you've collaborated on a few different things with your partner, Will Shismanian. Yeah. What, what has that collaboration been like? What keeps you guys working together? <laughs> He's going to hate me for saying this, um, but it, it's really true. Uh, both of us talk a lot. And when I say we talk a lot, I mean, um, since October, every single day, except for when we're on holiday, um, we probably spent a good two to three, maybe four hours on the phone, just talking through the show, talking through our vision. I've really never had an, uh, a relationship with someone uh, like Shish, and um, his the way his brain works. I, I uh, joke to him a lot, but I'm very serious when I say it. But he is probably one of the greatest songwriters of our time because he his lyrics don't bullshit you; they kind of tell you the truth. Um, and his, his text does that as well. Um, but for us, our, our relationship is built on immense communication. Um, I think it's also built on the fact that 
Um, all of the women in his life are all Virgos. I'm a Virgo. His mother's a Virgo. His partner's a, girl, a, a Virgo. So because all of us are Virgos, we kind of are very much uh, perfectionists and we kind of get in his ear and he knows how to listen, which is really great. Um, so it's built on that. But I also think that our relationship began because we were both working on a show that kind of was traumatizing to us. And um, we kind of made it through together and we were uh, committed to doing another show. It didn't happen. And then I think a good three or four months after that off-Broadway show wrapped, um, he kind of pitched doing a song cycle of something together. Um, we decided that it wasn't right at the time and jump months and months and months ahead and he kind of reveals to me that that piece was what became the regulars. And I am so happy that it was, it wasn't right at that time. Um, Cause I think if I had written the book to the show, it wouldn't be as authentic as it is. And our relationship is strictly based on the fact that we both talk a lot. And I think we talk so much that we don't realize how much we hate each other, but I, I also don't think we hate each other because um, we're so dedicated to the work. Um, but so we're doing the regulars. We've got a, a lot of other projects that he, like every week it's like a new show. Um, but after we finish the regulars, we are doing a really, really, really gay, exciting, um, uh, historical piece. Um, that's currently titled, are you ready for this? The Lesbian Cello Musical, which is such what? a clever <laughs> title. Uh, <Yeah. laughs> It's so unique and original, um, but it's based around uh, um, Frida Belenfante, who was a lesbian cellist and activist many years ago. Um, and I'm obsessed with her. I'm obsessed with the piece and I'm excited for audiences to see it because we're doing a lot of cool things. Like, you know, when you walk into a guitar shop and you see like guitars hanging from the ceiling, we're kind of doing that with a set and it, but with cellos instead and, um, I always like to joke that the cello is my favorite instrument because you can, it's like perfectly sized that you can cuddle it. Um, so I'm really excited <laughs> to hear a fuck ton of uh, cello at a show and it be super gay. Oh, wow. My partner played the cello. Oh, amazing. Uh, she'll be very excited. Yay. Awesome. <laughs> you don't even have to change the title. We'll All right, I will keep it. Like, the oh, same. Yeah. Yeah. It gives it everything you need. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> audience will come <laughs> so so you have the the lesbian cello yeah. musical coming up are there other other pieces you want to talk about and i know you're also like doing some tv and film absolutely stuff uh so shish and i are doing that we're doing uh rain which is a um adaptation of christopher marlowe's edward ii um which is kind of about um edward ii uh who picks up after his father passes away he kind of reigns over the kingdom and um, he brings his uh, previously exiled lover, Gio, um, who's a, a trans guy, uh, back to reign with him. And he kind of kicks his queen to the side, which, of course, pisses me off. Um, and then she has them both beheaded, which I'm obsessed with. <laughs> I'm basically obsessed with that. Um, so that, there's that show, um, like I said, we're revisiting Neverland. Um, so we're adapting a very new, um, version of Peter Pan that is totally not centered on all of the tropes that are in the show. Um, the terrible tropes that I 
grew up on, like Tiger Lily and the fucking crocodile. Um, and I am developing that with, uh, Shish is writing the book. Jen, Ra- Jen White, um, a composer in London is writing the score and I'm developing it with Iris Minas, which I'm obsessed with because Z is, Z has so many ideas. Um, they're also going to be our pan. So I'm excited for that to have a non-binary Peter Pan, which when you look at the original text, they quite literally are non-binary because they hate all men. <laughs> and I think Tinkerbell's like a massive lesbian because she hates Wendy. <laughs> Is that like a, like a love-hate relationship? Yeah, thing? it's like, no, go mm-hmm. away. <laughs> but I'm, I'm excited. Oh, that's great. Yeah, we'll be here for that too. Yeah, um, so I'm doing that. I'm doing uh, some TV stuff. Um, I wrote a pilot in the pandemic when... I said that I wouldn't come back to theater and uh, we're talking to some studios about that. Um, Iris and I are actually writing another pilot together and we're going to do an animation piece for kids, which I hate kids, but I'm excited to write that piece. Um, <laughs> absolutely despise kids. Uh, and From all those kids. Uh, so many kids in that fucking yep. organization that I, I, yeah, it taught me to hate kids, but also like, Kids have really smart mouths and they think they know everything, but they do and they don't at the same time. Um, so it's that. Uh, but I'm, I'm quite excited um, to do that. And uh, I've got a film in development and then a few other shows. Um, we're adapting a, a Claudette Colvin musical, um, which I'm excited about. And she was the literally the first, or the, shall I say the youngest um, black girl to refused to get off the bus right before Rosa Parks. And when she wasn't taken seriously by MLK and the movement, um, Rosa Parks decided that she would sit on the bus and, and refuse to get up um, in place of Claudette. But Claudette was the uh, six-year-old girl who refused to get off the bus. So I'm, I'm excited about that piece. It's It feels dark, but it's going to be super joyous. It's got a lot of jazz in it, and I'm, I'm excited. And it's written by country, like black country artists, which you almost never see. Incredible. Yeah. So many projects and they all sound amazing. <laughs> They're all projects that I, I, like I said, I've become obsessed with. Um, I, regrettably, I'm doing some revivals. Uh, or shall I say, I'm doing a revival. I, I refuse to do any more than that. But um, <laughs> I can't really reveal what it is, but it, it's going to be exciting. You might see it on Broadway in the next two to three years. Um, but it, it, it's a... a stupid show a very great adaptation of it well that kind of like leads up perfectly <laughs> to our next section which is queering the canon Absolutely. now that we clearly know your <laughs> this question is a little tricky yes. no ask the way <laughs> the question is <laughs> what queer version of an existing musical would you like to work on so a queer adaptation of a musical you can choose to say no because of your stance on revivals, <laughs> but it's up to you. <laughs> Absolutely. If I could queer any show, there's so many shows that like are inherently gay. Um, mm-hmm. I, it would probably, I, I would want to look at Once on the Silent again because T Moon is a raging lesbian and she just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> And Daniel is a dumb boy. I think if we do away with him and make him a woman, it, it might hone in a lot better. Ooh. Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so that, that would probably be the show. There's so many others, but uh, that's the one I, I'm obsessed with. It'd make me feel better about her sacrificing herself at the end. Spoiler. Exactly. Like, sacrificing like this dumb white <laughs> passing guy. Yeah. And not a woman that you're obsessed with. Yeah. I get it then. And then our next section is our, our queer culture rec. So Absolutely. outside of theater, what what's your like queer culture indulgence? It could be like books or movies Ooh. or events. Uh, for me, it, it's a lot of uh, TV. I, I have started to look at the L word. Uh, Shish has been begging me for many, many months. Um, so I've gotten into that. <laughs> um, and I'm sorry. Uh, no, it's, 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 you know, it's there. It's, it's there. Um, but I, oh, we know. I, I, I'm, I've started to watch that. Um, I've also watched, regrettably again, uh, Gossip Girl on HBO Max. Um, but it, it, it's, it's there. I can't stop watching it's it. It's so I know. good. <laughs> it's so bad and good. Uh, it's so bad. Are you talking the, the new? The new, the, the, yeah, the reboot of it. At the okay. end of, uh, oh. the, the, I think it was their mid-season finale. Um, you kind of get to see this polyamorous couple making out at the very end. And it's so beautiful to see polyamory done wrong, but also done very right at the same time. Um, <laughs> and uh, it, it excites me. A friend of mine is in it, um, which I almost try to stay away from friend stuff, but I, I, I'm obsessed with that. And then uh Ridley Jones, which is a, a kids show, an animation, and I, like I said, I hate kids, um, but it's on Netflix. Uh, it's about a, a girl, I think, yeah, a young girl who um, kind of wants to save the museum that her family owns and has worked in for so many years, and uh, it, it's got a non-binary character in it, and I'm obsessed with seeing that. So that's, oh, that's, that's what I'm into right now. Um, there's a lot more out there. I just don't know if I have the attention span for it. And then sometimes I watch stuff and I feel that I'm too old. Um, but I, I'm waiting for the day that we get another Sherry Jones TV show to watch. That was a good combo of like trash and also like good recommendations. Too. <laughs> it's a lot of, tra- it's a lot of trash. Um, but it's like that trash that you can't, it's like sometimes we're begging for queer art that we have to accept the trash mm-hmm. that comes. Yeah. And we might not reveal that we're kind of obsessed with that trash. I enjoy it. Right. Uh, like <laughs> like, like it. Awesome yep. <laughs> In our next section, we call Queer Gives. Okay. And so this is where we shout out an organization, Absolutely. a mutual aid fund, maybe a person, um, someone you'd like us to direct our listeners' attention to. Of course. Um, so if you have something in mind, uh, you could shout it out now. If if you don't have one off the top of your head, we can always add it later. I do. I, to you. For me, I really, really, really endorse the Trevor Project. Um, I remember many years ago, right before I got ready to come out as bisexual, I... There was this riverbed by my house, which actually the TV show that we're pitching um, explores that riverbed. Uh, but it, it was uh, a really shallow riverbed that um, like there was a bridge overlooking it. And every now and then when I was feeling very stuck in presenting a straight, um, I would go to the bridge and kind of look over. And uh, there was one night that I, I was feeling very um depressed and i thought it might be a good day a, a good time to t- jump and 
I ended up calling the Trevor Project and they nearly saved my life. So I always say give to the Trevor Project when you can because they're doing some great work for so many people. Uh, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. Yeah. The Trevor Project oh, is I love them. incredible. Yeah. And also, I, I, although I, I don't know yet, I haven't seen it, but I think I'm going to endorse the, the Trevor musical that's coming, but also why? <laughs> we'll, we'll see. see. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's so many pieces like that. Interesting. Uh, and then finally, how can our listeners follow you and your work? Absolutely. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter. Don't follow me on Twitter because it's very, uh, like angry political. Um, but you can follow me on Instagram at, uh, Miss Hazel Jade. Um, you can always go to the regular site and subscribe and you'll get information and videos. Oh, and we will keep our listeners updated on everything that's happening with the regulars. Do not worry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. Of it was course. such an thank honor to talk with you. Likewise. We have like three follow-up conversations. I can't wait. Now, but we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you again, Miss Hazel. This is great. Of course. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like, please follow, rate, and review us and share us with your friends. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Thesis on Joan. We love to hear your queer culture recs and ideas for queering the canon. Send us an email at thesisonjoan at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 845-445-9251. Come back for more interviews, fun queer content, recommendations, and discussions on current theater. Until next time, keep it queer. Not that it'd be that hard for y'all to do. (laughs) Especially, like... I love this question and it's very hard. Well, you wrote it for our last episode. (laughs) You skipped it. I didn't mean it like that. (laughs) Cut that out. (laughs) I love my own questions. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.